Philippians chapter 1. And from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, I want to remind you of several biblical truths that we considered in the introductory sermon of this series on discernment. Paul writes, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And this word judgment in our authorized version literally means discernment. The New American Standard Bible reads, And this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So Paul says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's primary desire and prayer for the church in Philippi. Paul's primary pastoral prayer for God's people individually and for Christ's church collectively was that they would be a people who would grow in love and discernment. Now take careful notice of what I said. I did not say that Paul wants Christians to grow merely in love for God and others. I did not say that Paul wants Christians to grow merely in discernment. I said Paul's primary desire and prayer for God's people individually and Christ's church collectively was that they would be a people that would grow in love and discernment. So that being said... Let me make sure that we recognize two important truths from this passage that seem to be largely ignored in our churches today. I want you to notice first the unity of both spiritual attributes. Notice the unity of both spiritual attributes, love and discernment. This is so important to recognize because we live in a day where so many think that you have to choose one over the other. We live in a day where professing Christians loudly declare, quote, I'm going to prioritize love above all things. I'm going to prioritize love above doctrine and dogma. I'm going to prioritize love above theology and ideology. Have you heard this before? Have you seen it posted on memes social media accounts. The mentality among Christendom today is, I'm going to prioritize love because Jesus never said to his followers that they would be known by their beliefs. Jesus said that they would be known by their love. Well, let's take this thought that many have embraced and submit it to what we read in God's Word. 
The Apostle Paul, who is being divinely guided by God to write what we read here in Philippians chapter 1, prays that the love of God's people may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Teaching us then that God never intended knowledge and love to be separated realities in the life of a Christian, but united realities in the life of a Christian. Do you see that? The love Paul is commending to the Philippian believers is not some aimless, subjective, emotional love that has no foundation, but a love that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and fixed upon and guided by the unchanging truths of God's word. So that's truth number one. It's vital that we understand the harmony of both spiritual attributes in Paul's prayer. His desire is that they would be a people filled with love, yes, but love that's rooted in biblical discernment. Now notice second that this prayer request of Paul's is the foremost prayer request that he brings before the Lord for the church in Philippi. Now call me simple-minded if you want, but as I read this particular prayer request of Paul, my mind immediately begins to think about all the things he could have prayed for but did not. Paul didn't pray that they as a church would be numerically successful. He did not pray that they would have lots of people show up for their promotional Sunday and be highlighted in the quarterly church growth magazine. Paul did not pray that they as a collective body of believers would be financially prosperous so that they might build big buildings and exciting ministries for every age group. Paul did not pray that God's children would be free from persecution. He could have prayed that the church would be spared from the attacks which come by evil men, but he did not pray that. Paul did not pray that Christ's sheep would be happy. He did not pray that they would be healthy, wealthy, and wise, as some false teachers on our television screens and computers pray. The primary desire beating in the heart of Paul and the first prayer that he offers to God for the church is that the church in Philippi would know and do God's will with pure motives and a sincere heart. His prayer is that they would have discernment to know what God expects of them. That they would live in a manner that best pleases the Lord. Paul's prayer is that God's people would have the knowledge to live lives that are pure and without blame. And I'm submitting to you this evening that this is precisely what biblical discernment is. Biblical discernment is the ability to see things as they are. Biblical discernment is the means whereby Christians see things as God sees things. Biblical discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. 
Pastor Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, quote, Discernment is the ability to make discriminating judgments, to distinguish between and recognize the moral implications of different situations and courses or action. It includes the ability to weigh up and assess the moral and spiritual status of individuals, groups, and movements. He goes on and says, quote, True discernment means not only, not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary. It means distinguishing between the good and the better, and even between the better and the best. And similarly, Charles Spurgeon states, quote, Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. This is what Paul is praying for, for the church in Philippi. Paul prays that God's people would approve things that are excellent. He is praying that the church would examine all things by the truths of God's word and only follow after that which is best. This is Paul's pastoral prayer request for the church in Philippi, and this is my prayer, this is my desire for our church. And that is why I've been preaching this Sunday evening series on discernment, and now discernment in worship. So now, having said all this, in the continuation of our study on biblical discernment in worship, I want to encourage those under the sound of my voice to exercise discernment as it relates to the genre of music that is commonly called contemporary Christian music. And by contemporary Christian music, I'm speaking of the popular, quote, praise and worship that is loved and cherished by many Christians and has infiltrated most churches. Now, to be clear, I'm not speaking against all music that is new. That's what contemporary means. I'm not speaking against all music that is new, but rather that music that is widely recognized as, quote, Christian pop, Christian rock and roll, and Christian rap. So you'll notice that I've titled tonight's lesson, Biblical Concerns with Most Contemporary Christian Music. Biblical Concerns with Most Contemporary Christian Music. This is my aim. My aim is to share with you several clear biblical concerns with the music that is cherished and implemented among many churches. So as we work our way through these slides, in the consideration of this topic, I want to ask everyone here tonight, everyone under the sound of my voice, to do two things for me. Truly, I want to respectfully ask those of you here tonight and those who will be listening online to, number one, humbly listen to my pastoral concern. That's all I'm asking. Just humbly listen 
to my pastoral concern. And number two, prayerfully consider these concerns in the light of Scripture. Right? Our desire should be that God's word would stand over everything. Test all things. Prove all things. Be a Berean. Be like those in Berea. Receive the word with all readiness of mind and then go back to the scriptures to see if what the preacher is saying is so. That's my challenge. That's all I'm asking. Please, before you get angry at me for daring to mention the topic, at least humor me by considering my points, which I will show you have been influenced by the truths of Scripture. Are we all on the same page? Okay. So, boiling all my problems with such music down to four main points, let me begin with point number one. Point number one, my first biblical problem with most, take notice of that word, with most contemporary music is that it resembles the world. And it does so in three specific ways. Number one, contemporary Christian music resembles the world in how it sounds. This is a video clip taken from a kids' ministry at a church here in Southern California that many would consider to be conservative. I can tell you that the pastor, the preaching pastor of this church, is solid in his preaching and teaching. But this is the music that is being introduced to the younger generation. What is it like? It's loud. It's flashy. It uses the same rhythms and the beats secular musicians use. Contemporary Christian music resembles the world and how it sounds. I could stand up here for minutes and show you clip after clip after clip, but I don't want to set these sounds before you and trouble your spirit tonight. So point number two, contemporary Christian music resembles the world and how it looks. Now notice, on the one side we have a popular contemporary Christian music band. On the other side we have a secular artist. Now if some of you in here don't know who any of these are, I, I would ask you tonight which one's Christian and which one is not, just based on its look. Contemporary Christian music resembles the world and how it looks. Here's another contemporary Christian music artist. And here's a concert of a popular worldly artist. Here's another one side by side. These names may or may not be familiar to you. But you cannot tell the difference between the concerts that these individuals go to. Dark auditoriums, bright lights, artists jumping around, fans idolizing the musicians, and then we have 
the albums of the CCM artists that we will get to in just a minute. Contemporary Christian music resembles the world first in how it sounds and it resembles the world in how it looks. And then under this point, I want us to understand that contemporary Christian music artists openly and unashamedly admit to mimicking their music after unholy secular artists. And this truth alone should discourage you from listening to and esteeming various, quote, Christian artists. Whether you recognize it or not, when you listen to contemporary Christian music, you are being influenced by people who love the world. You're being encouraged to turn back to the world. And oftentimes I find that those who like contemporary Christian music have no problem with listening to secular music that is obviously ungodly. There's a short bridge that is connected between CCM music, contemporary Christian music, and the world's music. If you start justifying listening to CCM it's natural to start justifying the world's music because, as we've seen, there's not much difference. And listen, why do born-again believers want to have any association with secular musicians who openly admit that their music is all about sex, drugs, violence, and rebellion? That's a legitimate question we need to think about. Why are we okay with these Christian artists loving worldly artists that unashamedly say that their music is all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll? These secular artists who are the idols of, quote, Christian artists adore those who are in bondage to Satan, those who are doing Satan's will. Why do believers want to joyfully associate with the world when God tells us to distance ourselves from the world? Here you have a picture of a Christian artist and a secular artist. Speaking of that secular artist on the one side, the previous slide, in an interview done by the Christian Post reporter, question who are your top five favorite MCs or hip-hop artists? This is asked to a contemporary Christian musician. An answer, I would have to say Nas, Tupac, the ambassador of the cross movement, Snoop Dogg. Not as a rapper, but just as an all-around businessman, I'd say Jay-Z. Now, I can tell you by personal experience, before I became a Christian, I've listened and idolized several of these hip-hop artists and they are altogether unholy and ungodly. I won't go into detail about what their music is about. And then he has this quote, I want non-believers to feel that my music is for them. It's hip-hop, and yes, it's good to the Christian, but I don't feel like this music is just for them. See how subtle this is. Same artist, different interview. Essence.com asks this artist, Lecrae, at what age did you start rapping and who were some of your influences then and now? Not then, but then and now. Lecrae, I started rapping at like eight or nine years old. 
The teenager I met at the halfway house gave me a mixtape when I was in second grade, and I was hooked. When I was younger, I was heavily influenced by rappers like Tupac, Nas, DJ Quick, and Scarface. And again, I can tell you that these artists are all profane. Can you tell the difference between the contemporary Christian artist's album and the secular album? If you didn't know any of these people at all, some of you don't, could you tell me which one has the joy of the Lord on their face? Which one is preaching a message of light and hope and peace and salvation in Jesus Christ? Listen, our appearance gives a testimony. Why do they look so depressed? Why do they look like they're in darkness? You, you, you just see how close it is one to another, almost identical. Popular contemporary Christian music band, in their cover tune grab bag series, they sing songs as Jump by Van Helen. Thriller by Michael Jackson, complete with choreographed Jackson-style dancing. Crazy by Outkast. Ice Ice Baby by rapper Vanilla Ice. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. It's the End of the World by R.E.M. Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Hard to Say Goodbye by Motown. Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. And I Feel Fine by The Beatles. They have no shame whatsoever to identify themselves with the secular artists of this world. Let's consider what the Scripture says. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Don't be molded to the image of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? This is similar to Paul's prayer request, Philippians chapter 1, that you may approve those things that are excellent. James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you see the conflicting voices? We say it's all about Jesus. They're preaching truth about Jesus, yet they're embracing the world. Well, which one is it? James is very black and white here. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the calling out of the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Some people are. Evil communications corrupt good manners. They corrupt good morals. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. It doesn't say come out from among them and be like them. It says, come out from among them and be ye separate. What is salvation? Salvation is God in Christ translating us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Ephesians 5, 8 through 16. Now, when you read this, think about all those dark images I've already showed you. A lot of the contemporary Christian music is just dark in its image. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So questions to consider in this first point. In what ways are CCM artists encouraging separation from the world? Think about it. In what practical ways are they representing the light of Christ and the joy of the Spirit? How are they seeking to reprove the darkness? And why do we want to bring the darkness of the world into our lives and churches? And then a third subpoint: the CCM music movement resembles the world in its business techniques. It resembles the world, first, in how it sounds, second, in how it looks, and then third, in its business techniques. The contemporary Christian music industry is just that. It is an industry. It is a money-making business. Now you say, why is this a problem? It's a problem because we don't find chasing after money and fame to be a motivation for individuals to make music in the Scripture. We don't find David or Asaph saying, I hope I make it big when I write the next psalm. I hope I sell one million albums. I hope I can tour Israel in 2024. Yet this becomes a real temptation for CCM musicians. They write their songs to sell records. No records, no money. No songs, no records, no fans, no concerts, no tours. Their goal is to make it on the top, billboard.com. Hot Christian songs. And with this comes unbiblical practice of lifting up of men. It encourages the party spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos. All this encourages idolatry. And this is another biblical point that nobody makes about this genre of music. What CCM artist, what CCM band is producing music and striving to stay out of the limelight? The Apostle Paul did not encourage others to worship him. In fact, he did just the opposite. When others started worshiping him, saying, the gods have come down to us, Paul rent his clothes and said, stop! Glory should not be given to man, but God alone. He rebuked the people who started thinking that he was a hot shot. So my question is, what CCM artist is rebuking people for drooling over them? Serious biblical concern I have with the CCM industry is that it leads to various temptations and sins, especially as artists chase after money and fame. Look at the verse, 1 Timothy 6, 6-11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Think about it for a moment. Such music breeds the concert atmosphere that has come into the church. We see the concerts happening. We think, let's bring that in. Let's find a talented band. And we'll have our own concert Sunday by Sunday. And this leads to the celebrity pastor epidemic. Pastors wanting to be celebrities. This leads to the business tactics the church that is putting into practice. And then the desire to be something great. Jeremiah says, Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. He must increase, we must decrease. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. We say, it's not all about the artist, it's all about Jesus, but in practicality, it really does become all about the music and the artists and the bands and their followings. Contemporary Christian music mimics the world and how it sounds, how it looks, and the business techniques it employs. Now, question. What would you think if I told you that my sermons are influenced by people such as Barack Obama and Dr. Phil? Would you have any problem with this? Oh, come on. You're being a little legalistic, too too pharisaical now. What's the problem? They're, They're nice people. 
What if I said I'm mimicking my ministry to be a mixture of Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn? That's my aim. That's my goal. That's who I look up to. Would you have a problem with this? You should. You should be troubled that I'm wanting to mimic people who don't know God and who are preaching another gospel. Yet we blindly turn our eyes from the fact that the artists that we love on the radio love those who hate God and oftentimes those who are preaching another gospel. Point number one. Most contemporary Christian music resembles the world. Point number two. Most contemporary Christian music focuses on entertainment, excitement, and emotion. And I'm certainly not asserting that Christians don't have feelings. I'm not asserting that Christians can't have emotions towards God when they hear truth through song. But I'm asserting that it is wrong to focus on emotions, feelings, excitement, and entertainment above biblical truth, above one's affiliation to the world, and above one's personal testimony. Much of the music that is produced by CCM artists, much of the music accepted by churches today, focus on stirring up the feelings and emotions over and above the contemplation of biblical truth. The recent Asbury revival, remember that? Just last spring. It's come, it's gone, it's faded away. The recent Asbury revival was all about this. It was focused on feelings and emotions worked up by music and musicians more than truth. I know this by experience. I tuned into it every day just for a few minutes to see what all this hype was about. Everybody was coming out saying, there's a great work of the Lord in Asbury. Don't you question God's wonderful blessing in Asbury. All these, quote, big musicians and TV producers of Christian stations were all on everyone's case saying, it's the work of God, don't question it, just submit to it. Nine times out of ten, when I tuned into the live stream, it was young people just jamming, working people up, little preaching. No confrontation. You're a sinner. You're helpless before God. You need Christ. You must be born again. You can't do it. God can do it for you. It was all. Let's experience the Lord. Do I need to go back to the opening video and show you the kids dancing? Most contemporary Christian music focuses on entertainment Excitement and emotion. Now, I know you can't hear this, but that's okay. The computer doesn't hook up to the speakers. Notice the kids. Do you think they're learning about Jesus in sincerity and in truth? Well, they're jumping around right here. Here's a popular CCM band, new to my knowledge. Doesn't have music, but just watch. 
It's a nightclub. It's a rave. Let's see if we can get this. the Hillsong documentary. Hillsong's desire is to stay current. They don't want grandma's old hymns. They want what's new, what's cool, what's accepted, what's popular. Listen, it's a commonly known fact that music has the ability to manipulate one's emotions and actions. You've seen television shows and movies that bring you to tears? Try watching it with the sound off. See if the tears still come. Often it's the music with the story moving you. Composers use sounds and tempos to get responses. So what I'm asserting is most contemporary Christian music produces a concert-type performance. And with such concert-type performance comes, quote, the experience. And we need to be careful here because here we have new age coming into Christianity. Here we have mysticism being mixed with biblical truth. Let's experience God. Now God is to be experienced, but not without the truth of His Word. Remember John 4.24, you have it memorized by now surely. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit from the heart and according to truth, according to His divine will. We experience God when we come before Him through the means of His divine word, not apart from it. But what's happening today is, let's push the word aside, let's give people music, something they can feel. So we have in the churches 50 minutes of music, 10 minutes of preaching, because that's what the people want. Preaching is of grandma, like the hymns, but the music is what the young people want. They want the experience. They want the tears. They want to leave church saying, boy, wasn't the band good today? Didn't you just feel something? Did you feel anything during the preaching? No, I slept during the preaching, but man, the music. It's really something else. That artist could play with any of the top bands of the world. 
This genre of music encourages a lack of self-control, which the Bible expects and commands. Romans 12.3, think with sober judgment. Galatians 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. 1 Thessalonians 5.6 and 8, be sober. 1 Timothy 2.9, women should be self-controlled. 1 Timothy 3.2, an overseer is to be sober-minded, self-controlled. 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons must be dignified. 1 Timothy 3.11, deacons' wives must be dignified and sober-minded. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has given us the spirit of self-control. 2 Timothy 3.3, the last days will be characterized by lack of self-control. Titus 2.12, Christians are to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and be self-controlled. Yet this music wants to encourage people to lose control so that you might experience something. Empty your mind, get lost in the beat. So this is my second biblical concern with contemporary Christian music. Most, catch my word again, don't charge me with saying all. I said most contemporary Christian music focuses on entertainment, excitement, and emotion, even when the lyrics themselves might be sound. You look at the lyrics themselves, many times they're sound. But that's not the whole thing being spoken. Point number three. Most contemporary Christian music often breeds doctrinal shallowness and spiritual flippancy, immaturity, casualness, and irreverence. Let's go back to this slide. Mercy me. Unashamedly admitting that they love the music of this world, and they have taken that music and made it into a series on their YouTube channel. Right? These videos of contemporary Christian music artists highlighting their favorite secular music are not only encouraging an association with the world, they are encouraging spiritual immaturity and silliness. Think about it. What if I had a YouTube channel of me singing to Van Halen, Vanilla Ice. Imagine me with those big puffy pants and a bright, shiny, silver t-shirt. Imagine me on a YouTube channel singing to Journey, R.E.M., and Michael Jackson with complete choreographed Jackson-style dancing. Can you picture it? Some of you will have nightmares tonight. Now, sub-question, how would you view me as a pastor if you saw me have a YouTube channel with these things? Clown. Do you think it would encourage people under my care to be serious about spiritual things? What would you think of me wearing an ACDC shirt or a Metallica shirt out in public? Think it might affect how others view me as a pastor and view us as a church? You see, there's more than just the music itself. It's the association and what it breeds. So this is my problem. Chris Rice, a popular CCM artist years ago when I used to listen to contemporary Christian music, 
This was a popular song on the contemporary Christian music channel played every day. These are the quotes. I was thinking the other day, what if cartoons got saved? They'd start singing praise in a whole new way. Now pause here. This is just sacrilegious and blasphemous. We're talking about cartoons being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy One? Think about this. Silly cartoons being reconciled to a holy creator? This is blasphemous. I don't remember anybody calling this out years ago. Why? Because, here it is, it's funny and it's cute. It's just like Super Mario Sunday. It's funny and it's cute. It's like Easter bunnies in church. It's funny. It's cute. It's like wearing ugly sweaters to the church Christmas service. It's funny. It's cute. This leads to another problem. Oftentimes, fun church and CCM music go hand in hand. Remember our slides on it's not just church, it's fun? Oftentimes, CCM music is wedded with the seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly movement. Right? Coffee, donuts, Star Wars church, Super Bowl Sundays, Santa Claus, bounce houses, dunk tanks, car shows, petting zoos. The word is pragmatism. Whatever works, do it. Whatever the people want, give it to them. Remember Exodus 32? Don't lose what I've said in my previous sermons. Aaron gave the people what they wanted. They wanted a golden calf. They wanted loud music. Aaron gave it to them, and God was displeased. It was fun. The people rose up and played, it said. But it was carnal. Dishonoring to the Lord. And sometimes, in the mixture of this flippancy, immaturity, casualness, irreverence, Standards begin to be thrown out of the window. Dress standards. We don't need to dress up for church. Let's wear our favorite sports jersey. Let's have a Super Bowl Sunday tailgate party. Let's have the pastor do an illustration where he takes a super soaker and sprays it over the congregation. Think about this. This is absurd. You want to speak of dress standards? Here's one. Well, let's change the word to the common Super Mario movie, peaches, 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 to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Blasphemous. Flippant, immature, casual, irreverent. Oh, but it's funny, it's cute, people like it. And people will go home remembering Bowser leading worship rather than remembering what they learned about Jesus. So standards in general become criticized, dress standards, standards of holiness regarding what you should watch, what you should listen to. Oftentimes with such music, there's a lack of concern for knowing biblical doctrine. The music becomes the main thing. The preaching becomes secondary. And then as I mentioned last week, oftentimes it encourages women to be leaders in the church over men. 
This is just a plain reality. You say, why are you a chauvinistic pig? Why do you hate women? That's not my point. The biblical model is for men to lead the church. And when you open the door of one compromise, often you open the door of other compromises. If you start questioning one thing, it's just natural to start questioning everything. And my problem, one of the biggest problems with this is women leading in worship, look how they're dressed. Often with this music, women are before the congregation swaying. Women are in tight jeans and short skirts. Women are singing sensually which presents an obvious stumbling block to men. And nobody calls this out. We're so used to it, I guess. We're so hard-hearted. Women are taking over the church. And often it comes with this music. Most contemporary Christian music breeds doctrinal shallowness and spiritual flippancy, immaturity, casualness, and irreverence. Point number four, most contemporary Christian music does not consider the need for artists to be humble and holy, God-fearing Christians and sound theologians who have faithfully persevered through the trials of life. Let me shorten this down and say there's little or no consideration of one's life testimony. Most people today think, in regards to this genre of music, so long as someone says that they love Jesus, so long as that person who says that they love Jesus has musical talent and they can write a catchy tune, we are good with it because it must be okay with God. We take no or little consideration of one's life's testimony. No one talks about the popular CCM artists who have departed from the faith and have unquestionable associations with doctrinal compromises. There are many CCM artists who are okay with linking up with Catholics and other religions who preach another gospel. Why are we okay with this? Do our testimonies mean nothing anymore? I'm convinced that our testimonies mean something. I'm convinced that God wants us to be influenced by those who are staying true to biblical doctrine and holy living. You are being molded by everything around you. Most contemporary Christian music does not consider the need for artists to be holy and humble, God-fearing Christians and sound theologians who have faithfully persevered through the trials of life. And listen, the beauty about our hymn book is that the musician and the music that is being set before our eyes week by week is attached to faithful testimonies. Now, to be clear, the musicians were not perfect or sinless. They were not flawless in all their theological views, But there is truth that their race has been run. If you're wondering who that is, that's King David. I got his picture off Wikipedia. (laughs) Was David perfect? 
But what do we know about David? He was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. He had many flaws, but he finished his course. God says he's a man that ought to be known and honored. God has placed his writing in scriptures showing us that we can learn from him. And so it is with all these others. Behind the songs are powerful stories of God's grace. Fanny Crosby, blind most of her life, yet singing of praising God. You're not just singing the music. You're embracing that wonderful testimony of trusting in God despite hardship. Henry Longfellow, I heard the bells of Christmas. We'll get to it next month. He was a man who faced great darkness, depression, yet he found joy and hope in the Lord. His life's testimony is wonderful. It preaches a story to us. Martin Luther, not perfect, didn't cross every T and dot every I like we would like him to as Baptists, but God used him to go against the unbiblical teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. Isaac Watts, the Wesley brothers, Patch the Pirate, Ron Hamilton here, they being dead yet speak. A message speaks not only through their music, but through their life. And I think this is missing, and I think this is needed in our consideration of music. We need to consider the artist's affiliations and their testimony. And finally, let me just say, if you won't listen to anything that I've just said, if you've tuned me out because I'm young and I'm uninformed, at least consider the wisdom of some elders. Remember this morning's sermon? Honor those who are more mature in age. Honor those who've studied their Bibles and have been faithful throughout the decades. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's now with the Lord, says, I cannot imagine the Apostle Paul bouncing up onto the platform, cracking a few jokes to put the congregation at ease, and then entertaining them with flippancies in order to play upon their feelings. Charles Spurgeon, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the work of the ministry. Where do the entertainers come in? The Holy Spirit is silent concerning them. Were the prophets persecuted because they amused the people or because they refused? The concert has no martyr role. Charles Spurgeon again, that very church which the world likes best is sure to be that which God abhors. a man who ministered in the 1800s. A.W. Tozer, a church fed on excitement, is no New Testament church at all. The desire for surface stimulation is a sure mark of the fallen nature, the very thing Christ died to deliver us from. And then we have our elder, the Apostle Paul again. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. 
So my final exhortation, my final challenge to you is, go home and see in your searching of Scripture if what I've presented to you tonight is my opinion or the tradition of church councils or if it is the truth of God's Word. Acts 17, 11, Search the Scriptures to see if what I have said is so. Prayerfully consider what I've said in the light of God's holy word and consider them as it relates to the effect it's having on the bride of Christ and her testimony to this dark world.